Good morning, Hills family. How are we doing? All right, all right. Not bad for a post-Thanksgiving. Uh, Normally, there's like a turkey hangover going on here. Hey, I want to say good morning to our campuses really quick. Good morning to all of our online community. I know you guys are with us, and I'm so grateful for you guys. Uh, I meet you all the time. It's weird out in public, and so I was in SoCal, and I met someone. It, just a great, great community you guys have. Good morning in Novato. Good morning to Larry Street. Good morning, Old Town. We're stoked to have you guys with us. And uh, happy post-Thanksgiving. I guess it is Christmas time now. We can, we can do that. Hey, I, I do, uh, I want to talk about something that's happening here at North real quick. Pastor Scott talked about Christmas in the courtyard. I, I, I want to really quick give you the why we do it. Um, it. It's so that you can invite your friends that don't go to church. People that, families, grandkids, things like that. Um, it's a great event where they may not come to a church service, but they may come and it's almost like a gateway drug to Jesus, okay? So you invite them, it's a lot of fun, there's no pressure, we're not preaching at them, any of that. They just come to a Christmas wonderland. So anyways, I encourage you, invite people, and if it rains, invite them to your house, okay? So, um, you know, expectations are a funny thing, aren't they? See, I'm a, I'm a child of the 70s, and um, in the late 70s, a trilogy of movies came out that changed the world. And um, it was Star Wars. And I had the life-size Darth Vader, which he wasn't life-size when you're five years old, but I, I guess he is when you're five years old. Um, I had the Boba Fett. I had Luke. I had a, a Death Star. I had all X-Wing fighters. I'd, oh, I was so in on Star Wars. It like, was the, the greatest thing ever. To this day, I still love Star Wars. Do we have any Star Wars nerds in the room? Okay. Um, So, in 1999, there was another trilogy that came out. And I was so excited that they were releasing three new Star Wars movies. And I was just like, this is going to be amazing. I'm going to have all of this nostalgia. Because you know how stupid we are for nostalgia, right? Like families, let's be honest, how many of you went to Disney, Disneyland in the last like four years? Show of hands in this room. Okay, yeah. We paid thousands of dollars so our kids could ride teacups. <laughs> Please feel what I felt when I was little. I mean, we just love nostalgia. So I come into this new Star Wars trilogy just like bars high, like this is going to be awesome. And I get there and I get to that first movie on opening day and Jar Jar Binks. Lame. It was so lame. I was so disappointed. Now, some of you are your millennials. You're in your 30s. You're like, hey, wait, I love Jar Jar Binks. I love the, that, that Star And I get it because you were my age when that came out. And you were young and it was new. And, you know, you didn't see like X-Wing fighters hanging on a string. And, you know, it was different right? But for me, like it was such a letdown because my expectations were so high, right? And we have that in life. Things like that happen all the time. Marriage is like that for many people. Um, Ladies, I'm just letting you in on a little secret. What men think marriage is, especially in the 21st century, um, you know, what, what a young man thinks marriage is, he is let down. Trust me. 
And it's not your fault. It's, it's the, the things he's been watching on his tiny little television in his, in his pocket have tainted it all, right? In the same way, though, ladies, And it doesn't just have to be the things guys are watching. It could be the movies you've watched and the, the, the things that have set it up that I'm going to find that guy that completes me and, and he's the missing half to me and it's going to, you know, and, and, and we're just, we're going to click and have this soul connection. <laughs> I hate to disappoint you. It doesn't work that way. Matter of fact, um, many expectations are not met in marriage. And part of what makes a successful marriage is when you lay those expectations down, you expect nothing and appreciate everything. And you're thinking, how could sweet Kelly Beatty have ever let you down? You're going to hell, Pastor. Well, she did, and I let her down more, trust me. So, um, so there, there are some things, and I'm, I'm going to talk to you today about the book of Ecclesiastes. And the book of Ecclesiastes might be the most depressing book in the Bible. And I thought, you know, we've just spent a weekend with all of our family. Why not depress you more? <laughs> right? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about Ecclesiastes. And, um, you know, there, there's all kinds of, like, we live in the 21st century and um, there's all kinds of like different beliefs now that buzz around. And I've talked about this before. There's really two new religions that a majority of our culture have glommed onto that aren't Christianity, that aren't Jesus whatsoever. And I've talked about it, that um, in the 21st century, one of the new religions many people have hitched their wagon to, their way they find meaning in life, is through politics. Whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, like that's how I'm going to be an activist for that. And I'm going to get the talking points from Fox or CNN or from, from Daily News or, you know, wh- whatever, whatever your source is, you've got that and you've hitched your wagon to it. And um, how's that going for you? As a matter of fact, the book of um, Ecclesiastes starts with this phrase, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. I'm just here to encourage you, right? Look at your neighbor, say everything is meaningless this morning. Everything is meaningless. Or here's the other religion in, in, in the world right now is um, science. I believe in science, right? And, and what we believe is that, that, that science is going to find a way and it's going to bring a new humanity and we're going to find the cure to these diseases and we're going to get new technology to changes our lives and changes our world. And, and we hitch our hopes and the hopes of humanity to science that it's going gonna, it's gonna to solve overpopulation. But now they're saying, wait, we're going to be underpopulated. We're losing population. Whatever. These things we hook our wagon to to hopefully find meaning in. Here's what I'm going to let you on a little secret. The, the book of Ecclesiastes says all of it, everything in this world is meaningless. And this isn't just a book that was written on a bad day by King Solomon. There's some depth behind it. And there's actually, actually something for us to chew on and, and, and make part of our life today in the 21st century, in 2022. 
So I want to read to you from the book of Ecclesiastes. I guess before I do, though, I, I do want to just give you this, this. Some of you might be like, no, no, I still believe in science. I believe it's going to do all that. Um, one, of, one of the more um, highly regarded science publications out there is called New Science, The New Scientist. Um, they, they surveyed about a thousand scientists and they asked them a very philosophical question. They asked them this question, they said, and they wanted them to give answers from a purely scientific, rational way. They said, don't, don't go philosophy on us, just what does science say? And then they, they asked, what is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of your life? What is the meaning of life? And um, this is, after they surveyed all these guys, this is what they came to. This, this is out of that article. It's kind of a bleak reality, to be honest. It says, the harsh answer is, life has no meaning. Your life may feel like a big deal to you, but it's actually a random blip of matter and energy in an uncaring and impersonal universe. Your life may mean something, it may feel big to you, but it's a blip in an uncaring universe. You know, you have people that they're like, oh, the universe loves you. It's been talking to me. No, the universe does not love you. It's impersonal. And actually, if you leave our atmosphere, it will kill you. Like that. There's no consciousness to it. It's a thing. Okay? And then it says, when it ends, a few people will remember you for a while, but they'll die too. Man, this is looking good. Even if you make the history books, your contribution will soon be forgotten. Humans will go extinct. The earth and the sun will be destroyed. Eventually, the universe itself will end. Against this appalling reality, how can any human life have any real meaning? We'll take an offering and we'll get out of here, okay? Life sucks. See, and what Ecclesiastes, the writer of Ecclesiastes is telling us is this, is that everything good and bad that happens in your life apart from your creator actually is meaningless. And you can live this life apart from a relationship to your creator and everything you touch is meaningless. And um, I want to read to you today from his Ecclesiastes 1 one through eight, and I'd love it if you'd stand in honor of God's word in whatever campus you're at, whatever room you're in. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Really quick, I want to give you context here. So the book of Ecclesiastes is written by this guy that's like a narrator that's like basically interviewed Solomon, the great wise king Solomon, right? So so that, that's what you're seeing there. The, the I'm writing the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go. But the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun sets, it hurries back where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All the streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. 
to the place the streams come from, there they never return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye is never, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear of hearing. This is God's word. You may be seated. So this word, meaningless. You know, we translate the Bible from another language, right? The book of Ecclesiastes was written in Hebrew. And that word we translate meaningless is a word called havel. Everyone say havel. Give a little ha to it. Havel. There you go. It makes you sound like you actually know what you're saying if you just ha to, to these Hebrew words, right? Um, havel is, um, you know, we translate it as meaningless, but if you were to give it a literal translation in, a, in antiquity, it really is translated as um, smoke or mist or vapor, right? Smoke, smoke, nothing but smoke. Everything is smoke. And all the stoners said amen, right? <laughs> vapor, vapor, everything, and all the vapors said amen, right? I mean, but we translate it as meaningless because the whole concept in, in, in ancient language, that word vapor or mist or smoke was that it's so temporary, right? It's so temporary. You think about even the good things in life. I feel like Bill Nye right now. It's like, oh, if I could just find the right spouse and then I'd be happy. I... Oh, if I could just get the right career and pastor the right church and, and get a big church like Clovis Hills, then I'd be happy. Well, maybe I need to get it bigger. Maybe I need to be more famous. Maybe I need to be better looking. Oh, I know what it is. It's my kids. That my kids need to, that need to be successful. Wait. It's that vacation I want to go on. I remember I was... I'm a pastor. I'll make a lot of money. I saved, we saved a bunch of money for years, so we took our whole family to Hawaii, and it was just going to be this amazing family trip to create memories, and I went with a preteen, and it was, it was awful. <laughs> it was a terrible trip. Oh, if I could just date that person, or I could just be this, or I could just, it's all meaningless. It's all vapor. It's here. It's gone. Let's see if I can do that. There we go. That's going to distract you the whole sermon. I know. Anyways, we'll let it. So it says everything is meaningless. So this thing, vapor, this mist, this smoke, everything in our life, what the writer of Ecclesiastes is trying to tell us is that your life, like apart from your creator, apart from a relationship with the one who made you, really is meaningless. If you think about it, like, you know, I, by the way, so I, we're a large church and the room is pretty full today. This is pretty awesome. I didn't expect this on a post Thanksgiving. Good job. But, and, and that's great. And our church is growing. And by the way, um, here on the North Campus in the new year, we're going to start a new service in the venue. For those of you that don't like music in church, I see you. You guys all come at the end. 
We're actually going to start a no music venue in, in there. So if you don't like, we'll have tables and you can come and take notes and do that, but whatever. But, you know, as, as, as a, the, 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 the church grows, like at some point in my life, I will be too old to do this and people will not remember me. It's just a vapor. And maybe they'll put my name on a building. Like my, one of my great hopes as this church on the North Campus here is that one day I could build a, a wedding chapel out, out there and we call it the Dave and Sue Love Wedding Chapel, right? The Reverend Love Wedding Chapel. Here's what I want you to know. Those of you, there's a group in the room, they're like, who's Dave and Sue Love? They go to Old Town. They'll be forgotten. I'll be forgotten. You'll be forgotten. How many of you know the vocation of your great, great, great grandfather? Two of you in the room, you smart Alec. Probably famous, yeah. He'll be forgotten eventually, don't you worry. See, the, the, the truth is, all of it, apart from a relationship with your creator, is meaningless. It will come, it will go. Relationships are good, they're bad. And um, look, look what Jesus' brother, James, in the book of James, he echoes the same thing that Solomon said in, 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 the, in the book of Ecclesiastes. Look what he says in James 4.14. He says, why, why? You, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. He's talking about people that are bragging or making plans for, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do this, you know. He says, why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist or a vapor. You're a havel that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So we live this life. We go to kindergarten. We graduate high school. Maybe you go to college, maybe you get a job, maybe you get married, maybe you have a couple kids, maybe you get old, you put some weight on, you get some heart disease, a little bit of diabetes, <laughs> you're socking money away in your 401k, maybe you can retire at 65, maybe at 70, who knows, who cares, and you do, and you have some grandkids, and they're really cute, and your kids are kids and you have no control over them and it drives you crazy and then you die meaningless meaningless our life is but a vapor do you realize some some scientists believe that the universe is 13.8 billion years old and you're like man i lived to 100 i did good vapor so that leads me to number two in, in this sermon is you have very little control in your life. Number two, you have very little control over your life. Now, some of you are like, wait a minute, pastor. All the time, every week you say, you're ridiculously in charge. I thought I was ridiculously in charge. I get it, I get it. You are ridiculously in charge, but you're not. Here's the truth of the matter. Many of the circumstances of your life, you are not in charge of. You are in charge of how you respond to the circumstances of your life. If you get a sickness, you are not, my wife is not in charge of glioblastoma. No, it, it wins. It's in charge, right? Um, if you, if you, uh, if there's a recession, I don't care how much you spent on Black Friday, you can't fix the economy. And you're like, that's why I put my hope in this person in 2024. And if that's you, oh man, you're in for disappointment. But um, 
on and on and on. There are so many things in this world you have very little control over. As a matter of fact, here's an interesting thing about us humans. Um, I would encourage, if you can at some point in your life, that you go on a missions trip to a developing country. That you go either with Clovis Hills or another church or a missions organization. Because it will change your view of how you see things and how you see your life many times. See, um, I don't know if you real, realize this. If you go to the Philippines or you go to Africa or you go to, uh, you know, to, to India or you go to uh, Indochina. Or you, or you go somewhere where it's developing and you'll notice that the people there have so much less than us and so much less freedom and so much less control over their life. But for some reason, we live in the richest, most abundant, most technologically advanced society in the history of humankind, in the history of the universe. And we are the saddest, most depressed, most anxious people that have ever existed. And see, what you will learn is this, is for whatever reason, money, things, people, vices do not bring control to our life. But what we do is we try and trick our whole se- we trick ourselves as people is we, we think to, to feel in control because there's so many factors in this world that we have no control over. As a matter of fact, the other people in our life even. We, have, we don't have a lot of control over them. But what we do is we will, um, you know, we, it, it, it might be that you, you, uh, you feel that sense of in control, but uncontrolled. But what you can do here in America is you can you can eat and feel in control. You can buy something and feel in control. You could drink something and feel in control. You could smoke something or vape something, right? <laughs> and, and for a moment, feel in control. You could lash out in anger. And feel in control. I got after two Mormon missionaries last night. Not because they deserved it. Because I'm a jerk. And I was not in control in the moment. And it made me feel in control to tell them how much more I knew about the Bible than them. It's awful. But that's what we do. And for you to say, well not me pastor. I'm redeemed by the blood of the lamb and the word of his testimony. You are redeemed by the blood of the lamb, the word of his testimony, if you've received Jesus. But I'm going to tell you something. You're a work in process. And odds are you're grabbing at some kind of vice in your life to feel in control. And I'm here to encourage you that you're not in control. And that vice is nothing but vapor. And you're like, why did I come to church today? This is awful. (laughs) Corey Tenboom. I can't get into who she is, but you should look her up because she's amazing. Corey Ten Boone said this. She said, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. See, so many of us are worried about, you know, what, what's going to happen tomorrow? What's the economy like? What are my kids going to do? What is this decision? What am I going to, you know, how am I going to be? How are people going to view me? What? Uh, uh, and we've got all of this, my business, it, it, it's all of this. And you have no control over it, but it's sapping everything you have hovering around you. And see, Jesus said these words. I love this. 
Look what it says in Matthew 6, 25 through 24. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour of your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See the flowers of the field? They do not labor and, or spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his splendor were dressed like these. Uh, hold on. I got I to camp on this for a minute. I saw this the other day and it, it blew my mind. Like sometimes we, we worry about what's going to happen to us in our life and circumstances that we can't control. And usually we numb them with things like vices or whatever it is so we don't come to that conclusion that life really doesn't have a lot of control of it. I only have control of my attitude going through it. And that, that freaks us out. But um, I was watching this, this nature show on one of the streaming channels. And it was, you know, it was, it was narrated by Morgan Freeman, right, which every nature show should. My, I wish my life was narrated by Morgan Freeman. Then Sean got up to preach and it was amazing. You know, what? <laughs> but there's these turtles, Okay. They're born on this one beach. It's one beach. Turtle comes, lays 100 eggs every year. Buries the eggs. There's all this nutrients in the eggs. When they run out of nutrients in the eggs, the turtles emerge from the shell. They crawl out of the sand. They look like cockroaches coming out. It's crazy. And then they, they just somehow, as like minute-old infants, know to start crawling to the water. And you're like, oh, how do they know to go to the water? Now, I get it. There's always a couple that are a little slow. They crawl away from the water. But, you know, a minute later, they find their way. And they all start finding their way to the water. And that is mind-blowing. How do they know that? I mean, they, just, they, they didn't have consciousness. And, that, and I don't even know if a turtle has consciousness to the degree it's sentient or whatnot. But they, they all go to the water. And it's amazing. But then, here's the thing. No control again. Because right away, camera pans out. There's seagulls everywhere going, mine, 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 and flying around. And they're snatching these suckers up and eating them. This is why the turtle has a hundred of these eggs. Hopefully a few of them get to the water. Maybe 10, 15 will get to the water. And they're coming and they're eating all the little baby turtles. It's so sad. And then there's like 10, 15 of them make it to the water. And you're like, yes, it's amazing. There's freaking sharks out there now waiting for them. They know every year, oh, the baby turtles are coming and they're delicious. It's like veal, the tender little shell. And they start eating all the baby turtles. And if they're lucky, one, two, make it out to the sea. They get out to the deep. They're able to find their way. They're able to hide, whatever it is. And, and there they go. And this little itty bitty baby turtle swims 425, 450 miles to, to th this underwater prairie, basically, it's all grasslands underwater between Australia and Papua New Guinea. It's huge. It's like going to Kansas, okay? It's just all grass. And they swim to that. How do they know to go there? Why 
would they go there? They all go to that place, the ones that make it. They all get there. They all begin eating that grass. Why are they eating that grass? Because that grass actually has nutrients in it. That specific grass has nutrients in it that harden their shell and actually color their shell the color of the Great Barrier Reef where they're going to swim thousands of miles further to get to and live. How did they know to eat that grass? So then they go to the Great Barrier Reef and then there's a thing built into them, built into them, that they're able to locate the electromagnetic field that that beach they were born on. And it draws them from the Great Barrier Reef back to that beach to lay more eggs on that beach. That's God. He made that. You don't make systems like that by accident. That's like putting paint in your garage and you wake up the next morning and there's a Picasso on the wall. That's God. He made that. And if God made that system, if he made that for that, for this stupid turtle, what do you think he made for humans? His highest creation for you. Do you realize, do you realize who you are? Every one of you in this room, at some point in your history, was a sperm. That's encouraging, right? One of billions. And that one, with its distinct DNA, connected with that egg, and made See, your God has made you. And sorry, I got (laughs) verse 29. Sorry, Addison. She's back there going, when's he going back to the Bible? Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Verse 30. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown in the fire, how much more would he clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Well, I get my Lululemon for Christmas. For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. You don't need Lululemon, by the way. But seek, this, this is the kicker. I want you to hold on to this one. Because he's summing up your mission in life. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness in your life. And I know what you're thinking right now. You're like, oh, pastor wants me to become a missionary in Papua New Guinea. No, that's not what it says. Oh, you want me to become a pastor and a preacher like you? Nope, that's not what it says. Oh, you you want me to be some kind of like Navy SEALs of Christianity. And nope, that's not what it says. Here's what it says. It says, seek first his kingdom. So wherever you are in your life, whatever circumstance you find yourself in in your life, you don't need to be a pastor to seek God's kingdom. If you are a teacher, if you teach elementary school, the kingdom of God can emerge in your classroom. 
where love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control begin to emerge from you inside you and begin to be poured out into your classroom and boom, that's where the kingdom of God is. You're doing God's will for your life. If you're a mom, that happens in your house. If you're a plumber, that happens where you plumb. If you're a lawyer, you're lost. It won't happen. I'm kidding. They're playing the wrap it up music, but I'm gonna keep going. Listen, the, 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 the truth is, is this. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever your assignment is, whether you're a doctor, a nurse, a dentist, it doesn't matter. My wife found a lot of her identity in teaching, and when cancer hit her, she was not able to do that anymore. She's not able to do that anymore. You know what she did? She bloomed where she planted. A couple months ago, someone was like, hey, um... I saw your wife, like, picking up a homeless person in her car, and I was like, yeah, isn't she afraid of that? And, and she, my wife's like, uh, I have brain cancer. I'm not afraid of anything. She's found a place to bloom. She serves where she's at. She's seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness where you're at. Then... The things that used to be meaningless, that used to be vapor, they began to become solid. They find ground. But your life apart from God is vapor. Your life apart from your creator is vapor. I read you this. Look what it says at the very end of Ecclesiastes, because this is great. So remember, it's it's a narrator telling us what Solomon said. And then it comes back to him. It says, not only was the teacher wise, this is the narrator, but he also imparted knowledge on the, to the people. He pondered and he searched out and he set out many proverbs. The teacher searched to find the right words and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're like goads. What's a goad? A goad. Remember I talked about this in the book of Acts. A goad is like a nail or a sharp point. The shepherd would put it on the end of his staff. Because I'm here to inform you, sheep are stupid and they don't take suggestions, right? Shepherds don't go, um, excuse me, Mr. Sheep, the food's over there. So could you go over there because there's a cliff here and there's a tiger over there and you're going to die. So you might want to go over there. The, the sheep will just stand there and get eaten or it'll run off the cliff. It needs to be, the shepherd has to poke it and it goes, ah, you know, and it moves along and he has to poke it again and it moves along. And some of you are like, are you saying I'm dumb like a sheep? (laughs) Me too. And and God's word is goading us along, turning vapor into reality, turning vapor into the ground we stand on, turning the things that were meaningless in our life to where the kingdom of God emerges in your life. And you can have that, but you have to take hold of it. It says they're wise like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end. There's much study. You could go to school your whole life, right? It wearies the body. Verse 13. Now, all that has been heard, here's the conclusion for the matter. Fear God. Keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind, right? That was how Solomon said it, and then Jesus just said it better. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all other things will be added unto you. And I'm here today to give you Jesus. 
And I'm here today to remind those of you that are Christians to stop grabbing at vapor. Fox News is vapor. CNN is vapor. All your social media feeds are vapor. Being an influencer on TikTokagram is vapor. It's not lit sauce. That's my own word, TM. Guys, LeBron James is six foot nine, 250 pounds. We got a picture of him? Look at that. Listen, not even fair. I'm 5'8", 154. <laughs> Who am I kidding? Thanksgiving, 5'8", 156. But listen, take him down. He's making me look bad. He was born freakishly athletic. Now, did he work hard? You bet he worked hard. You don't stay looking like that at age 39 without hard work. But here's what I want you to know. He didn't work hard at being 6'9". He didn't work hard at being freakishly athletic. God gave him that. And then he took that and he, he worked with what God gave him. And here's what, here's what I, I want you to know. Um, when he uses his athletic gift from God to glorify himself, he blasphemes God. Because he was made by God to give him glory. So when people went, how are you that big? How do you move like that? How do you do that? He could go, God. Mariah Carey, it's Christmas, come on. I hate that song. Mariah Carey has a five octave range. Human beings aren't allowed to sing a five octave range like that. They're not allowed to get into that, like, whatever mouse tone she can get to. And then sing way down low where she's at, too. It's freakish. God gave her that talent. Now, she's worked it, and you don't keep that voice that long without working it. But God gave her that. And here, here's the thing. When she uses that gift to glorify herself, instead of the God who made her, she's blasphemed God. And here's the thing. It is so easy to pick on celebrities with that because we, we elevate them anyways. But here's what I would tell you. God has given every one of us in this room things. And when we use it to glorify ourselves, it's vapor. It's gone. Teenagers over here. So you know there's teenagers that always sit over here. Do any of you know the names of the two guys from Millie Vanilli? <laughs> oh, you don't, huh? Man, they were really famous. Do any of you know the names of um, the bass players from Duran Duran and the Thompson Twins? Simon LeBon? Nope, not him. Here, here's what I'm trying to tell you. Whatever you do in your life, apart from your creator, is vapor. And see, Jesus knew this. And this morning, the word of God goads you back to him. It goads you back. Some of you, for the first time, the Bible says this. It says that for the wages of sin is death. That all, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that we, because we've all sinned, 
the consequence of our disobedience to God is death. Not just physical death that your body is a vapor, but even more so spiritual death. That, that at, at some point, you are separated from God for eternity. The Bible calls that hell. It says, for the wages of sin is death. Then it says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And what, here's what that means. John, the apostle, he, he said it this way. He said, but as many that would receive him, to those who believed in his name, that if you'll receive Jesus' as forgiveness, you'll receive him as, a, as being the Lord of your life, laying down your way, vapor, mist, smoke, meaningless and taking up his which is is he he's the one that created you when you take that on it says but as many as received him to those who believe in his name he gave them the right to become children of god that there's a purpose for your life it's not just eat drink and be merry and then you die there's more to your life than this but you have to take hold of that jesus kind of likens it in Revelation 3.20 to him knocking at the door. He knocks at the door of your heart and says, I've come so that you could know me, that you could know your creator, that you could not have mist, not have smoke, not have vapor, but have what is real. But you have to make that choice and receive him. You have to open that door. You have to open your heart and invite him in. That's up to you. The Bible does say this too, that when we believe it in our heart, but then we confess it with our mouth, there's something that happens to that faith when it goes from just something you're deciding here. Like how many of you, you make New Year's resolutions, but you don't tell anyone because you know you're gonna break them? I think people do that with Jesus all the time. Like I accepted Jesus today, but I'm not gonna tell anyone because I know I'm gonna go screw it up. When you believe in your heart, but then you confess with your saved. But that means your faith has been actualized because you're beginning to put it into action. And I'm going to give you an opportunity in a moment. Some of you, it's just coming home to that truth. You've known it. You've just run from it. And then others of you, you had no idea that on November 27th the God of the universe would come calling and knock at the door of your heart today. Don't walk away without making that decision. Because everything else is vapor. Let's pray.